Welcome to Fortitude Live, the podcast. I am your host, Ian the Rhino, and I'm with you here today with our co-host, Marcus Big Business Leone. This is episode one of the podcast. Um, we're going to be getting into uh, the topic today of a little bit about my goals, mindset, um, you know, training philosophy, uh, what Fortitude is. And, um, you know, whatever, whatever and wherever else it takes us. Um, so you have anything else to add to that, Marcus? Yeah, man, we're really excited to be here. And this is going to be two guys that have known each other for quite a long time talking and trying to get the rest of our audience to know Ian as well as possible through this format, right? So he's the face of the brand. I'm here to co-host the podcast with Ian, and our goal through this podcast is to introduce him and all the proceeding podcasts or talk to really high-level strength athletes and people we respect in the strength community. And the reason for that is to spread knowledge and just have fun conversations with people we like. We got a few episodes coming up with some good buddies of ours and some really, really impressive athletes that I think is going to add a lot of value to people's training and kind of break the barrier between what's considered to be a high-level athlete and everyone else because I think there's something to be learned from it. So the goal here is for me to interview you in like the most casual way possible <laughs> yeah. so people know who you are, your background, mm. and so, why you're doing this. Yeah, sort of take me off a pedestal. And just to kind of <laughs> add on to that, I'm I'm really uh, excited for this endeavor. I, I think um, podcast is going to be really great because I like having deep conversations with people, and it's something I'd be doing anyways. And uh, so now we're just recording it. So hopefully, you know, a lot of the half, – half the time whenever I have conversations with people – um, you know, in the industry and in fitness or outside of fitness, we touch on a lot of really, really interesting things. And after I had the conversation, you know, whatever location it's at, uh, I find myself wishing I would have recorded it. So it was kind of a no brainer to me to, um, to start up a podcast just because it made sense, you know, like having deep, deep conversations. So it made sense to start recording them. Um, this episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Ooh, what's that? <laughs> for those of you that don't know, uh, Certified Piedmontese is um, probably the premier brand of uh, meat delivery service out there. Now, 10 years ago, I probably would never have known that a meat delivery service even <laughs> exists just it just when you say it it just kind of rolls off the tongue right, funny but we buy everything else online so why not combine the best of both worlds you get a super high quality butcher that also raises and produces their own cattle it's mostly grass-fed all humanely raised no antibiotics the whole nine yards it's also great for athletes because that breed of cow the piedmontese cow has a much lower fat content on average than your standard cut of beef from whole foods and the like yeah so so one of the really cool things about the uh, piedmontese breed of cow it hails from italy actually and um, ah, my people yeah, and the reason it is such high quality is because, interestingly enough, the cow has an inactive gene, the myostatin-inhibiting gene. So myostatin is actually um, something that exists within your muscles that kind of inhibits the muscle itself from growing to a certain size. So when that gene 
um, is naturally inhibited through selective breeding, it allows the cow to grow, allows their muscle tissue to grow to very large proportions. And so what ends up happening when you, when you do it in a natural way like that through breeding, you end up getting a, a steak that, you know, you end up getting a cow that naturally has more muscle tissue with better flavor with less fat content. And but so, really, it's a big jack cow. It's like the Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, it's like, cow it's that was raised in a humane fashion. Yeah, it's basically like a, <laughs> like a, like a buff cow. <laughs> a really buff cow with low the body Mr. fat. Olympia of cows. Yeah, but natty. It's true, actually. <laughs> no steroids, no antibiotics. Yeah, these these cows don't take steroids. They're like the Mike O'Hearn of... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a fake natty cow. That'd be bullshit. No. Maybe they eat duck eggs. These are like the premier USAPL lifter of cow. Mm. Buff, good looking. Oh, yeah. Raised well in a healthy environment. Oh yeah, you can't you can't go wrong. So um, definitely check out their website. Uh, it's piedmontese.com if uh, if you want to go look at any of their uh, any of their products. And um, you can use discount code Fortitude Live twenty five for twenty five percent off your order, which is a pretty huge discount. Um, so yeah, check it out. And with that. We will go into the meat of the podcast now. Me and Marcus go pretty far back. Um, I've known him since I was in high school. Interestingly enough, we we're kind of both two two rejects, <laughs> for lack of a better term. And um, he kind of did his thing through college, and I did my thing through college. And then we reconnected a little bit after college in our uh, mid to late twenties, um, when I was kind of had worked my way heavily through CrossFit. And uh, gone to the games a couple of years uh, with my team, and we both kind of got into powerlifting at about the exact same time uh, with a pretty decent athletic background. I was uh, a CrossFitter who had done, you know, quite a bit of sports and gymnastics and anything and everything, and, and he had concentrated most of his efforts on just bodybuilding and Olympic weightlifting up to that point. And, um, and we found ourselves powerlifting and, and pushing strength, you know, for the last couple of years. So it's been pretty interesting kind of seeing, you know, him blow up and he's at probably a little over a 2,100 total now, uh, with a 400 kilo deadlift in the books. And I just hit a 2,001 pound powerlifting total, um, you know, with, uh, some pulls around 800 pounds deadlifting and uh squat nearly 800 pounds and um we'll get into that we'll get yeah into we'll, that. we'll we'll talk more we're about talk numbers that. in a second yeah so take it away cool dude awesome super pumped to be doing this like he said the this is going to be a collection of podcasts talking to people that we respect and we like so of all the people to start with let's start with the basically been my training partner for the past four years in some way shape or form oh yeah actually <laughs> when he said we reconnected the truth is i was probably four five months into training powerlifting at all and i decided to do a meet in florida and it was a big <laughs> meet in florida that that well it used to be bigger mm. but it was called battle of the bay yep and without much experience myself. USBA meet. Yeah. It's actually at the beach. It was. It was a sweet. No, it was that. That was right there in the heart of Tampa, right there on uh, like West Shore. Yeah. Interesting venue being outside and humid. Oh, and dude, not conducive to lifting. <laughs> that. 
Oh, it was terrible. it was scenic, and I can see what they were going for, but it was definitely so a little hot. bit, definitely a little bit taxing for an athlete and a lifter. Yeah, and I didn't know anything about sodium back then, so <laughs> I was doing this meet off of about a year of Olympic weightlifting, maybe two years of Olympic weightlifting, <laughs> and he coached me through this meet, and he helped me cut like fifteen pounds leading up mm. to it which we'll talk about at another time because that was a horrific experience. Yeah, I'll talk about that on your episode. <laughs> so he helped coach me through that meet. I actually bombed out on bench press because I didn't know what a rack command was. That wasn't my that wasn't my coaching error, by the way. No, no I hadn't <laughs> benched probably in two years because <laughs> I was weightlifting. He was a weightlifter, guys. He was a weightlifter. <laughs> Weightlifters bench, no, no. Yeah, so, yeah, here we are, four years, five years later, whatever this is, and uh, – now we have a podcast, and it's sweet. This is going to be a cool platform. So let's talk about where you came from. Let's get the the Reader's Digest version of how you went <laughs> from high school reject to CrossFit athlete to powerlifting athlete, all at the top of your game, across every one of those strength avenues. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a really uh, interesting thing that you bring up. Um, I actually got into working out from the presidential fitness test, <clears throat> which was <laughs> very funny. I mean, technically, this episode is before that episode, but <laughs> but we're filming it afterwards. <laughs> we had the opportunity to go up and uh, hang out at uh, Juju Mufu's place where we tested the presidential fitness test, and I I was able to still achieve the presidential award from when I was eleven or twelve. But uh, it was definitely pretty challenging in some aspects. <laughs> but I, I uh, that run, yeah, oof. oof. I um, so I got into uh, training. I actually, I actually had that. There was that qualification they put on us when we were like eleven, twelve years old, and all my friends had kind of naturally been able to excel at it. Um, whereas I was, you know, I had to. I realized that like, oh shit, I actually have to do this thing. I didn't like being left out of that. So instead of, you know, I, interestingly enough, and I don't really know why, but instead of in, instead of using it and it making me hate fitness and never want to do another pull-up ever again, I sort of internalized it differently. And I said, oh, shit, I can't do this thing, so I should probably do more of it. And um, so I bought a pull-up bar, and I installed it uh, in my closet doorframe. And then I started running miles and doing sit-ups and doing push-ups in the shower before school. <laughs> <laughs> Out of all places, right? Like God. you could hey, Probably cool to do it in there. Yeah, you just you didn't actually have to shower afterwards. It was yeah. just like you're already in there, so you're staying. I kind of wish you could do that still, like mm -hmm. work out in a in a shower, yeah. a giant shower like Kramer. <laughs> just live your whole life in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did that, and then that kind of I don't. Before that, actually, though, when I was like nine or so, I my parents put me in gymnastics. Oh, really? Yeah, I I, I haven't even really made that connection until now. For like. I never really thought about it like that, but I, I mean, even before that I played soccer and did gymnastics. So like I, I had done stuff. I just didn't, I guess, have a, the endurance for a one mile run or, or 10 pull-ups. There's probably no reason to. Yeah. Years old. <clears throat> yeah. But anyways, after that, I just, you know, one thing led to another. I got into lifting weights at like 12 or 13 and that kind of allowed me to excel at pretty much any sport that I chose because I started understanding from a really early age that you could adapt your body to all these different physical tasks. So if I, I, I kind of understood 
and, and, you know, self-educated on my own that if, you know, I wasn't as fast as the other kids on the football team that I was playing with, that I could just run sprints and I would get faster and eventually be the fastest kid. Or if I wasn't the strongest person on the wrestling team that I could go lift weights and then I would be the strongest person. And it seemed really interesting to me because it, it was something that you could do for free and it could basically elevate you above average to like the top percentile. You mean running? Running, um, training, anything, training, Ah. training, and you know, lifting weights, training, like any type of physical endeavor. You don't, you know, obviously you have to pay for a gym membership, but but the only thing you're going and doing there, the effort, it's it's free. It's on you. You don't you don't have to pay for that. That's not something you buy. You just go do it, and you know, eventually your body changes on your own, on its own, if you give it food and sleep. And so I found it really, really interesting and kind of hooked me that I could do this thing, you know, on a, on a routine basis. And it would basically make me like, I don't want to use the word a freak, but like it, it kind of turned me into like a mini superhero to like everybody else for, and, and made people respect you more. And it changed the way you looked and it like, it kind of turned you into uh, like a different person mm. in a weird way, like for the better. <clears throat> Did you know that when you were that young? Like, could you yeah. actually make that connection <clears throat> in your head? Like, oh, I do this. The cause and effect is is now why. I don't think I was like analytical enough to like s- to like step outside of myself and kind of look at the situation objectively. But I definitely recognized like you know, people making comments and like, you know, people saying things, whether it was people encouraging me or people who were insecure and saying like, Ooh, you take steroids when I was like 13, <laughs> you know, I mean, you got to remember you were a pretty jack 13 year old kid. I mean, yeah, as well, much as I remember from back then, it, you were it, definitely outside of the normal bell curve of like yeah. what a kid looks like. It was, it was really cool though, to be like 13 or 14 years old and have like the, the older kids, the 15 and 16 year old kids, like, the old when I was in like sixth grade having like the eighth graders on the football team like think I was cool and want me to like hang out with them and Mm. stuff and like instead of getting picked on like it was almost like a like I got included in a lot of stuff which I thought was really really cool and I got a ton of attention for it and a lot of it was positive so it kind of reinforced itself and it kind of was a respect thing I think think people just intuitively respect people that show physical prowess in the world like whether they understand it or not it's like almost like a caveman oh 100 percent. i think i think as much as like as much of an intellectual community they're like as much as we say we're intellectuals and it's 2020 and we're you know we're this and we're that and we're evolving and all this stuff i think we're very much like you can't ignore the fact that we're primitive beings to an extent so i think even at like a young age you know there is that that sort of respect of, of physical prowess. And it's, I think it's probably even more pronounced at a younger age because it's like, you know, it's like you're operating solely on the lizard brain back then. Yeah. Yeah. And we're not, you know, we're still developing. So, you know, it's almost like you get more, more attention. Maybe I, I I was reading a book. I've been reading outliers a little bit. Oh my God. Well, yeah. And and, I I read it a few months ago. And I think that, um, a really interesting thing that I was reading about the, the part where they talk about how 
based on you know your age and your cutoff the cutoff date for hockey players and things yeah, like yeah, that it's like the biggest determining factor of success in hockey was the ones that were and, and, born the like earliest mm-hmm. in that season because they and, were older yeah and, and i really like i'm, I'm no, no pro hockey player or anything you know but i've had pretty good success in the athletic endeavor that i've you know sort of achieved and i did get a lot of special attention at a younger age maybe due to being you know doing better at sports or lifting weights whatever you know for whatever reason it is but the one thing that it made me think about was that i always was one of the older kids in my grade because when i was in preschool like i was very very young my parents had the opportunity to put me in the next grade and let me continue but i would be like one of the youngest kids in the grade or they your could birthdays really August. August. Oh, you just had your birthday. You were like yeah. a month ago. So you were born in August. So they held you back. In so they held me back a year. So I was the, I was typically the oldest kid in my grade. So I was turning, like, for example, senior year in high school, I was turning, um, I was turning 18, literally wow. like the first day of school. So you were 18 your whole senior year? Yeah. So you were basically six to 12 months old than everybody else in your grade yeah roughly yeah Uh, and i found that um and i thought about that and i said damn like that i'm sure that played a role because in look thinking about like sixth seventh grade i i basically like hit puberty like pretty hard between sixth and seventh grade because that was when i started lifting weights and coincidentally like hitting that i think lifting weight like free weights and learning a little bit about nutrition and bumping my like when I was 13 I was counting my protein intake every day and so I was making sure I was eating at least 150 grams of protein when I only weighed like 130 pounds and that summer I went from like 130 to 160 something pounds as like a seventh grader and I was benching like 220 230 pounds and you know on the football team that meant that that meant death and destruction forever for whoever like went against me (laughs) um which was you know ended up meaning I, you know, I was getting a lot of attention as a, as an athlete at an early age. And I think that played into sort of my mindset, um, you know, different leadership opportunities, uh, you know, training, um, you know, I was training. What did that mean for you as a young person? Like it just, it just reinforced everything. I think. Well, like, did you gain, as I know, being young, I mean, I can't imagine being a fucking 13-year-old now in 2020 with all the pressure and social media and all that weird stuff. Like, We didn't have any of that. We had a fucking, like, the most controversial thing you could do at age 13 for us was removing somebody from your top eight on MySpace. Mm -hmm. Like, that could be catastrophic Mm -hmm. for a friendship. Nowadays, you have everybody with instant access to everything and the most advanced cell phone technology Mm -hmm. ever at 13. It's like... I don't know. I, I, I feel like finding the weight room, and that's something you and I probably have in common, is something yeah. that not only boosts your self-esteem, but it like kind of cocoons your confidence and yeah. allows it to grow in a really interesting way when you're young because you have a self-confidence mm-hmm. that you wouldn't I, have otherwise. I'm so glad, though, that I found it without Instagram and all that shit at that age because if I if if we had it i probably i wouldn't have been mature enough at that age to not compare myself to all these other people and i wouldn't have been able to say like that's not the norm like like i would have been comparing myself to people squatting and deadlifting seven eight hundred pounds when i was like 13 and the no like five a 500 deadlift would have been like bullshit not impressive because so 
you know, because it's that's all over the internet nowadays. And and you know, I probably would have been like a young person, like many people today, driven to try to take steroids at like a super early age because of you know what is yeah. the what I what the perceived norm is. But um, but anyways, yeah. From there, you know, sports through high school, went to college, um, got into CrossFit. Kind of, I had a I had some extra scholarship money left over, and I tended to use part of that money to invest in myself in some way, shape or form. I would save some of it and I would invest in myself with a little bit uh, of the other part of it and, um, you know, try something new, a new sport or go on a trip or, you know, something that would last me that would maybe benefit me. And one of the things I did was try and CrossFit. And uh, what, when did you start that? How old were you? I was probably like 20, 21. What, so what year? All right, so let's let's think about it because I think about CrossFit chronologically in terms of what year or what what series of the games yeah. that was in. So you started in what year? Twenty twelve. I was probably I started. Yeah, I I want to say twenty eleven. So twenty. What is that? Like the fifth or sixth year of the CrossFit games probably, when it was still yeah. pretty small and mm-hmm. unknown. Yeah, I okay. I think. The yeah, I, I tried it a little bit when I lived in Gainesville, and it didn't really stick because I think just the the people I was around maybe, and I was in like my first year of college, and so I was partying pretty heavily. Um, but I got a got a taste of it, and I went for a couple months, and then I you know went through college, ended up moving to Jacksonville, and got into it with some friends that were in that it was more of like a, a crew that I identified with, and mm. a lot of kids, a lot of guys my age. Um, you know, a gym where there was a bunch of bros and stuff and we would just crush weights and they were all big about the competitions and, you know, they were kind of local athletes and I kind of just... What city was that in? That was Jacksonville. That was in Jacksonville. That's when you were in nursing school. Yeah, yeah, I was in nursing Mm -hmm. school, got heavy into CrossFit competition while in nursing school, did pretty well, excelled. Um, I I did it in like three months after starting it, I qualified for regionals, um, indie, but I went on a team and then I competed on teams a couple more years and then got out of that, graduated, worked as a nurse for a year and then, um, linked up with another team, went to the games twice, uh, did the whole, uh, <laughs> let's, not, let's not gloss over that. That's yeah. no small accomplishment. <laughs> so I know we're trying to keep people's attention here and keep this a little bit mm-hmm. on the shorter side of a podcast, mm-hmm. but that is a pretty big part of your resume, right? You claim to be the only person that's been to the CrossFit Games and has a 2,000-pound powerlifting total. So what did it take for you in a, in a few minutes here? What mm-hmm. did it take for you to get to the Games, and what was a big takeaway? What did you learn from it, and how did it impact the rest of your athletic career up until now? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, oh, man, what did it take to get to the Games? Because um, I think that's a really important question because yeah. a lot of people – they see the Instagram highlight. Mm-hmm. They don't realize what it took and yeah. how many years. Mm-hmm. So here's a good question. I think we talked about this before. How many years, how long did it take mm-hmm. for you to be as good as you were to get to the games? Um, I, I, I heard an answer about this. And, uh, you know, I, I might have told you before hearing that a couple of years of training. But <laughs> someone said this recently and it really clicked. But... Um, literally my whole life up until that point. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good answer. Every, <laughs> I think the first year we went, well, I was 26, so literally my life up until 26 was what enabled me to to do that. I, I came into, you know, I started 
training for the CrossFit Games with a pretty significant physical ability that I had already developed. I, I started training for it with, you know, close to a 600-pound, probably like a 585-pound deadlift, um, you know, 550 squat. I had already been competing at CrossFit pretty heavily as an individual locally in local competitions. I had probably already done from 21 to 25, probably 20 to 30 competitions private or 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 um main competition circuit uh like regionals and the open and things like that so i was already pretty experienced when i went into training for the games that was one of the reasons why the team reached out to me because i lived in the area it was convenient and i was experienced were you and, like were you like their resident strength athlete yeah yeah i i um i think i remember the day pierre brought me in and he we were snap we i snatched and I was still working night shift at the time. I had about a month left of my night shift job in the ICU as a as a nurse. And um, we snatched, and I snatched 300 pounds. And snatching 300, you know, in 2015, 2016, that was like the most any, any CrossFitter ever was doing at that point. And he told me, he was like, yo, when I saw you do that, I was like, holy shit, we got our guy. And he was like, yeah, and then you went to do a conditioning thing right after that. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this but, guy's insane. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, because I was working night shift, so I had no energy. My conditioning was shit. But I had kind of maintained my strength, which was the most important thing, because strength is what takes the most time to develop, whereas conditioning, you can build that back up in a, a month or two. Um, but yeah, uh, it. what did it take? It took a lifetime of of training for different sports, a, a lifetime athletic background. And then it took probably, you know, a year of, you know, six months or so of extremely focused training. Um, we were training, training wise, it, it, I wouldn't recommend it. I wouldn't even say it's possible. You, you would have to be extremely genetically gifted to train and make the CrossFit games if you weren't a full-time athlete, if you have a normal job, you know, if you have a normal nine to five and you're working 40 hours a week, it would be extremely, extremely difficult to train for and make the CrossFit games unless you already were some ex freak natural or some freak amazing athlete. Um, because for me, I had to, I had to bump my nursing shifts down to, like one or two days a week, um, usually Sunday, Monday, or maybe just uh, Sunday or just Monday, depending, because um, too much, the amount of stress on your body from just the training alone, it kind of encompasses your life and you don't really, you can't, if you start to get stress from other areas like relationship or a job or too much other stress, then your, your, your training's going to suffer. So that has to be training for something like that had to be, you know, probably one of the main, pretty much the main focus of my life. You know, I was ex, I was excluding like pretty much all other aspects of my life to be able to train for that. Cause the training was so arduous, you know, we were training f six days a week. I was logging, you know, 20,000 meters road a week, you know, running <laughs> eight to 10 miles a week, Jesus. you know, lift. I was doing hours on the assault bike, running intervals, three gymnastic sessions, um, you know, GPP up the wazoo, uh, you know, doing strength training. So your first year, you basically 
through as many darts and as many dartboards as possible. Yeah, yeah. And the first year, I kind of beat myself up, and it was a little less refined. And we went, and we did pretty good. And I kind of had a bunch of weaknesses that I didn't, that I wasn't really. I was doing too much lifting that I didn't need to be doing. Not enough endurance and gymnastics. So the second year, I dumped, I bumped my lifting down to like one or two days a week, and. Um, and I really drastically bumped up the endurance and gymnastics. And I went into that second year much, much better prepared, you know, doing close to 20 unbroken muscle-ups, running close to a six-minute mile. Um, I remember uh, we were at a gym a few weeks before um, before the games in 2017. I squatted 225 pounds for 101 reps straight. Uh, I think you were there for that. That was pretty, oh yeah, that was pretty was, excessive. Uh... That was probably one of the most ridiculous feats of strength I've ever seen. Just it wasn't even that you were that strong; it's just you were that stubborn that you wouldn't stop. <laughs> yeah. I think you told me before that you think you probably could have done another like ten reps after that mm-hmm. if you would have, if you wanted to. But we, I think we were like eight minutes into the set. Yeah, yeah. I, I. It was weird though. Be, yeah, I because the only th- I was keeping a baseline. Like I hit I got to a point where my heart rate was at like probably 150 160 and i was keeping a baseline without it elevating and the only thing that would have prevented me from going further would have been a muscle cramp so i almost was strong enough and conditioned enough to turn squatting my body weight into an aerobic activity that i could have (laughs) sustained you know like supporting the weight on my back and hitting reps at a certain pace almost I had managed to sit at lactate threshold and continue to accumulate reps almost as if you were like riding a bike really fast. And so that energy system was strong enough to sustain that activity. And the only thing that would have stopped me would have been if my quads or glutes or erector cramped up. And so it was only, it was about five minutes after I stopped that I actually got the cramp. So I think I would have been, I would have been good for another 10, 20, 30 reps if I chose reps, 131 reps, it, but it, it was just, you know, that wasn't the goal. And it was like, you know, 101 seemed good enough at the time. So I was <laughs> like, you know, what's the significance of any number past that? It's like, yeah, what's the next number? 150, then 200. It's like, kind of, kind of like, all right, you know, so like take us from then. Cause that was kind of the start of the powerlifting mm-hmm. journey. Right. So take us from then to mm-hmm. now and fill in the gap for people who don't really follow you as closely sure sure so 2017 games went well after that it didn't really make sense for me to keep pushing crossfit because i was i was you know 5'8 220 225 pounds i was lifting one day a week and i had you know kind of a passive 1600 pound powerlifting total um you know, I, I was deadlifting, you know, out of comp, I deadlifted close to 700 pounds uh, sumo. And I'd actually done a meet before between those games years, you know, and that was how I knew I had that 1600 pound total without training for it, because I didn't even prep for it. Someone just taught me how to low bar squat, I actually con- pulled conventional deadlift, um, squatted high bar, high bar, no, low bar squatted 600 sleeves, conventional deadlifted 630 and bench close to 400. And that was without really training those lifts, just from doing CrossFit and did a lot you of endurance. Cut like twenty something pounds. Yeah, yeah, I did a really extreme weight cut. I cut eleven point six percent body fat, so I went from two twenty. Body weight, body weight. Yeah, body weight. I went from two twenty three to one ninety seven, and that's a whole nother episode, podcast <laughs> episode entirely. Don't do that. It's not Don't healthy. Don't do that at home. Um, 
but yeah, and, and so powerlifting came naturally, and that's why I did it, because I was tired of doing something where I was fighting my physiology, and to get better at CrossFit would have meant that I would have had to like starve myself and lose like 20 pounds of muscle so I could get better at running and rope climbs and gymnastics, and I, I didn't want to, I didn't, going down in a shirt size didn't mean fitness to me. <laughs> I wanted to go up yeah, in a shirt size. Probably more emasculating to you than anything. Yeah, I didn't want I didn't like the idea of being getting skinnier to be better. And um so I switched to powerlifting and um networked with some people in the industry and ended up uh getting a good introduction to that. And um and it kind of came naturally and um the first uh, I think I, I started powerlifting with like the 1600 total. We did another meet after that, that I trained for on my own, like a dumbass, And I totaled like 1640. Then I actually learned how to prep, you know, better for a powerlifting meet. Went from 1640 to 1813 in sleeves, which was a really, really big improvement. It was like, a which hun- meet was that? Was that boss of bosses? Yeah. Yeah. It was like 170 that something two pounds. Years ago. Yeah. And then, um, and then from there, I actually sustained a back injury after that, but still kept training for meets. We we had a, a deadlift only that we did mm-hmm. that that winter, and then we pulled in the cage, deadlifted like mm-hmm. seven hundred for like eight to nine reps, and um, and then after that, prepped for boss bosses again. Yeah, that was last fall. Yeah, totaled nineteen oh one, and then yeah, that was last fall. That was a, yeah, almost that was exactly a year, ago. a year ago. Wow. Yeah, so that's that's what I. That's when it got engaged. That's yeah. when we were all out in San Francisco. Yeah, and then um, went to Australia for a few months after that, came back and started prep immediately for a meet that we did in February mm-hmm. uh, where both of us have our all-time lifetime best totals. I ended up adding 100 pounds to mine from yeah, 1901. you broke your 2K that day. Yeah, 2001, what'd you hit? I hit 21.56 that day. Yeah. That's my best to date until I get back on the platform this or next year. Yeah. Hell yeah. So, so, um, so yeah. So like when I got into powerlifting, the idea of just totaling over 2000 pounds was kind of like the thing that without knowing a lot about powerlifting, that seemed like the cool thing to do. And, you know, seemed like, uh, like the, like the way you kind of qualify yourself as being elite in powerlifting like getting a black belt in martial arts or something no, like that. You just show people whether whether it's legitimate or not, right? It's the rite of passage of, to the top tier of, of powerlifting. Yeah, yeah. To say you're like an elite lifter, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, not, whatever not, bullshit qualifications yeah, there yeah. are in different feds, it's like, the, yeah. it's like the two thousand total is the litmus test for yeah. guys. Forget all the elite international elite total, yeah, but that's all stupid. bullshit. Or you know, like I totaled international elite before, and yeah. I would laugh at that total now because yeah, it's not not because it's not a respectable accomplishment, but it's like. Those are not like the the really crazy lifts. You I would see. never hear the. It's just the name for me. Right. I would never look at that total. It's a it's a really strong fucking total. Those are really heavy lifts. But if if I were to think of an internationally elite lifter, I'm thinking of names you would know and recognize, like Yuri Belkin or Milanichev or Tan Bell, like that you that could travel internationally and compete. Yeah, like the guys you want to see lifting. They don't necessarily identify as that. Like yeah. you know, as you guys will hear when we talk to Dan, usually they're among the most humble, down to earth people. Yeah. Like the, the moniker doesn't mean much. You know, yeah. it's kind of the numbers to speak for themselves. Yeah. And at that point, you don't really have to say anything. Yeah, it, it, it's it. 
if you're if you're strong, you'll know you're strong. You don't have to prove it to anyone. It's like if you're strong, people know you're strong, and you don't even have to say it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you have to tell people that I'm this or I'm that, then you probably need to get stronger. So yeah, like there's so many young dudes in the sport that have the most insane things in their little Instagram bios, identifying themselves as this and that. And it's like, yeah. yeah, man, you call yourself a coach, you call yourself this, you call mm. yourself that. And it's like. But nobody respects your lifts. Yeah. And they speak for themselves. Sure. I don't think you have to advertise uh, yeah. success in the strength realm because people just know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that was last February. And um, since then, the world got kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to 2020. Welcome to tw- 2020 happened. And we got, you know, COVID and civil rights movements and all kinds of crazy stuff. But and let's just say, let's put it on the record for both you and I. <laughs> yeah. Most successful years to date. Literally the most successful years to date for either of us. So yeah. that is... You know, Marcus ha- runs a, a, a real estate business, and um, I started, yours truly, Fortitude Sports Performance, uh, my own training and coaching brand, to um, to convey to you guys sort of the mindset that I've developed, you know, over the course of my whole life and, you know, kind of transferred and translated from every, you know, sporting and training event that I've ever done and sort of how I maintain, you know, an elite level of, of strength and conditioning and how I've sort of integrated into my lifestyle. You know, it's my way of communicating that to you guys. And hopefully the goal is to, you know, eventually integrate more and more athletes because, you know, into that brand so they can kind of integrate that and, and transfer that to you guys. Because I think there's there's one huge thing, you know, that, that I, I've... You know, there's a thing that I would say, and and it's something that I've kind of heard repeated, you know, by a few different people unrelated lately. And, you know, there's huge talk nowadays about, you know, equality this and equality that. And and I believe, you know, in equal opportunity for people, you know, at the end of the day, like everyone should have equal opportunity, but you can't line up a hundred people and say that there's going to be an equal outcome out of all those people, you know, give them all the same opportunities. Some people are going to excel. Some people aren't, whether the differences are physical, mental, or related to their upbringing and that sort of thing. And, and the same applies with health and fitness. You know, some people will excel for some reasons and some people won't excel for other reasons. And my goal, you know, for this is to obviously help people who are excelling, excel more. And, you know, and on the flip side to help people who aren't excelling, you know, and almost probably more so this to help people that aren't excelling as much as they want to figure out and learn why and improve upon that and, you know, kind of help these people adopt a mindset because oftentimes it's their mindset that is holding them back and limiting them and it's how they perceive things and how they attack their goals, you know, and from that you from that stems the actual actual actionable things and you know the victories and the reinforcing of success so my goal you know if i could best you know best illustrate that would be that i'm i'm hoping to kind of translate some of those habits i've gained and some of the knowledge i've gained to kind of help other people understand you know how they need to morph their mindset and how they need to kind of attack things and attack challenges and adversities that they face because at the end of the day, you know, that's the thing we all have in common. We all face, uh, we all encounter barriers and we all uh, face adversities. And it's really how we handle those things and how we overcome those things that kind of turns us into a better version of ourselves. Um, 
Well, for, I don't think there's a better way to close out this <laughs> intro podcast than that because I was literally going to ask you a question that that perfectly answered. Mm-hmm. So, unless you have anything to add, that was that was like the perfect synthesis of what fortitude is. Yeah. And I think that was a really good explanation for people. You know, one thing I've noticed about you is you're very much a mindset person. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're trying to do with this brand is not only, you know, write the mundane task mm-hmm. of nutrition. The practical, actionable things. Right, but, but it, the you, mindset is very important to you. Yeah. And I think that's something that uh, is a big takeaway from all of these podcasts. We're going to, much like one of the very interesting podcast hosts and book uh, or sorry, authors that I've read, you know, Tim Ferriss, he's, he's always trying to tease out things that are of importance of really successful people. So I think that's going to be a very common occurrence amongst our conversations with people yeah, is definitely. teasing out the very interesting and unique habits that have made them successful and how everybody could apply that to their day-to-day lives. And I think that's a big focus of yours with this brand too yeah for sure definitely uh, definitely the perspective that people take when they encounter adversity and and trials because you know for me i've always used failure as sort of a learning process and a stepping stone and and if if i haven't been able to do something on the first try it's been more about coming at it from a different angle and, and learning how to better attack it or learning why i wasn't able to to beat that thing whatever i came across and you know realistically either either learning more and acquiring more knowledge you know so i could you know beat it or you know in acquiring that knowledge you know realistically understanding if it was you know possible for me to actually do that no matter what i did or not or what i needed in order to be able to do that and i think that's kind of the mindset that i've used whenever i've attacked any of these physical goals and it hasn't it hasn't really steered me wrong yet Amazing. I'm excited for this, man. This is going to be a really cool series that we do and really cool podcast that we put together for everybody. So um, with that, I think we're going to close the first episode of Fortitude Live. This has been your intro to the founder and Rhino Mastermind himself, Ian Daniel. Ian, tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find Fortitude, and a little bit of more information about your brand in particular. Yeah, guys, as always, um, you can find me at Ian the Rhino. Um, if you just search that, it should pop up. There's dots in between the words, or you can find uh, the brand's page at Fortitude Sports Performance. Um, we offer three different services right now. The um, The most basic service is a uh, training subscription where I put out um, different training methodologies that you can subscribe to and follow for a very low monthly price, um, you know, encompassing a lot of the differences or a lot of the uh, disciplines, I'm, I mean, um, from CrossFit to powerlifting to weightlifting to kind of a, a mixed off-season GPP-style program that's out now called Fortitude 365. Um, soon up to be released is the uh, Fortitude powerlifting program that I'm really, really excited about that I put a lot of time and energy into. Um, and then uh, after that, we offer nutrition coaching um, for a moderate price uh, 99 a month and from a registered nurse from RN, which is I think really cool. And something a lot of the fitness industry misses out on is having somebody with a clear medical practical Mm -hmm. 
and I mean practical in the sense that you have actually been in emergency rooms, operating rooms, mm-hmm. care facilities. You have a practical knowledge of the human body as well as a sports performance yeah lab work and and the athlete side of things and you know the 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 medical side of things the uh, functional side of things as it comes to an athlete so i have sort of each either end of the spectrum that's been something really cool that a lot of my clients have uh, have really liked whenever so I've worked with them. It's more than counting macros. Yeah, we definitely take into account, you know, your health and a lot of different variables because you can't not when when you're working uh, on nutrition because it affects your health, it affects your mind, you know, it affects your body, your training, your performance. You know, there's a there's a science to fat loss. You don't just you you're not just going to want to cut a shit ton of calories from someone and watch them starve because that usually never ends up working out. Um, and then after that, we I do a personal one-on-one training and coaching, um, and that's any f- I do that any for um, for anyone from like you know people just recreational athletes and gym goers to more competitive athletes, CrossFit Games athletes, things like that. So um, yeah, so if you if you're into that, uh, check us out. Check out the website. You know, find the Instagram page. The website's www.fortitudesportsperformance.com. And um, and give it a go. There's some articles up. Uh, we'll be dropping apparel soon. Um, that's coming. So you're listening to this. It's probably already out right out uh, out right now. If it's not all, if it's not coming soon, um, and they can find you at at Marcus Leone on Instagram. Yeah, and maybe you can plug it. You can plug your real estate business in your episode. <laughs> hey, if you're in Miami and you need the world's strongest real estate broker, <laughs> give me a shout. Uh, cool. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you all for listening and stay tuned for the next episode. Peace. Adios.